Man, what a time to be alive and in the house of God. You know, don't wish that your life was easier than it is. Because in the hard places, we find him. In the hard places, we find Jesus. And I love to get together with a group of people who aren't afraid. You know, if you can deal with the fear in your life, and by you dealing with the fear in your life, I mean Jesus dealing with the fear in your life. When he comes as the good shepherd and says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. I've got you. I've got it. I've got the whole world. You guys glad to be in the new building, in the house of God? Hey, if you're new to church, I'm Pastor Corey. That's the lovely Pastor Aaron right there. She's everybody's favorite. She's my favorite too. And uh, we're just glad that you're here. We're glad to be able to, to host you. I think I've just lost my notes. I found them again. Um, this is a crucial time in a new building. And listen, if you're new, um, now's the time, you know, like find your seat. You know, church people used to get back in the old days when it was like, somebody came out, came to church and somebody sat in my seat. Well, maybe you should get to church on time. That's what I'm saying there. Maybe then you get your seat back. But, um, and we have a kind of a different model of church as well. We really want, um, I'd give up my seat for you. And so that's what we want. You know, we don't mind standing in the back. Look, God is going to just give, give, give the Holy Spirit a little bit of time. God's going to pack this building out and then we'll have to add a service and and I'll complain about how tired I am after preaching and you're going to love it. But hey, um, there's something very important that I'm going to preach about in this series called The Tribe. Most people never find their tribe. I'll explain what that means. But if you find your tribe by trying to find uh, who society tells you to find, you won't find your tribe. You'll find a tribe, you'll find somebody, but you're not going to find the tribe that God made you for and made you for them. And uh, it's, it's, your, it's your tribe. Um, give me a minute here, because I'm just going to intro the series today in the sermon. Also, this is a time to really pray that the grace of the Lord is upon Liverpool Football Club. As we play Chelsea, Lord, bring down the wickedness of Chelsea Football Club. Come on, give me an amen, Layden. All right, okay. I was checking the score with Rachel, who's a Chelsea fan. She talks too much trash. I don't want to be the one to correct her in front of people, but... Um, anyways, we listen, um, if you're new, we love to have fun here. We're a high impact, high challenge church, high fun. We think you can go to war and have fun at the same time. And, uh, we are here to, to do battle for the city and to bless our city. And, and thank you for your extreme generosity to get us into this building, but more than that, to bless the city during Christmas time, like we have so generously. So thank you. Uh, thank you very much. Hey, first Wednesday is this Wednesday at seven o'clock. And first Wednesday is a night of praise and prophetic ministry and prayer. You need prayer for something. Um, we say it like this. You can, you can go through the next month in the hand of God, or you can work it out yourself and miss first Wednesday. So don't get distracted. Come out to first Wednesday. It's a really a powerful night. And, uh, and it's just, it's kind of behind the scenes and God really speaks to people. We dance with snakes and stuff too. So if you're into that, <laughs> we don't No, that would be weird. Um, we're weird. We're not that weird. Hey, small groups are starting next week. Small groups. You need, I'm talking about tribe today. You need to get involved in a small group. We'll put a QR code up there that will help you, uh, uh, direct you to small groups. We have great groups starting. Um, I don't want to use this platform to pull people into my small group because that would be cheating, but I am doing the young and free small group with Lee and Tammy, uh, Lockhart. And so that's like our college and career. So that's going to probably be the best small group. Um, 
know it's cheating to pull people in from here, but we have a, a freedom group starting. Um, listen, some of you can't say uh, uh, hello to God's tomorrow for you and your future and your destiny because you haven't settled the past. And that is a great group where God is just like, come on, it's time to get rid of the baggage so you can just like live and, you know, let tomorrow worry about tomorrow instead of always watching your six o'clock and hoping that it doesn't catch up with you. Well, it does. Um, speaking from experience and uh, we offer a great freedom group and a bunch of other groups as well. Also, if you've been sitting on the bench in your Christianity for too long, uh, you need to start envisioning having people in your home and having a small group there. And so uh, we're going to do small group leaders training after the second service next week. And uh, we'll, uh, we'll feed you and we'll do small groups leaders training. All the small group leaders get trained there again because we care about people. So we just want to uh, keep that training up and our care of people strong. And uh, that's how we do it. You know, as the church expands, you know, Pastor Aaron and I can't pastor hundreds of people. And so that's where the pastoring happens. That's where the care happens. And so we want you connected. So. All right, as I start this morning's sermon, I haven't let Sean go for a reason. Because um, I want to ask him, and I want to ask you, it's a, an exercise my aunt told me when Aaron and I were um, kind of newly married. And it's this question, and if you've never heard this before, it'll sound a little bit funny, but what's your favorite animal? Sean, like, what's your favorite animal? You've got to think about this. And if, venue, if you've been around and you've done this before, don't spoil it for everyone. Don't, don't be the person that says the end of the movie. What's your favorite animal? And then what are two reasons why you like that animal? What are your two favorite things about your favorite animal? I'm going to give you a minute as I introduce the series about what's your favorite animal? What are the two favorite things that you like about your favorite animal? Now, God designed a tribe and he made a tribe and he called you to a tribe and he called it to you. And so um, most people don't live with their tribe. Most people live and die and they never live in the tribe that God called them to. I'm speaking specifically about the church and the local church family today. But... Um, you can't shop for a tribe. Do you shop for your family? And when your current family makes you unhappy, then you go and find a different family? You know, some, some of us did, and that's why we're, in the, why we're coming to church today. <laughs> but it's this idea of like, you don't shop for something that God designed you and created you for. You don't shop that out. What we have to do is learn how we fit into that tribe and based on how God calls you to it and calls it to you. Now, um, in the chaos of Roman rule, Jesus' tribe, like his disciples, and then there was, there was like the three in the tribe, and then and there was like Peter, and then James and John, and they were kind of like the three, and then there was maybe the closest to him, and then there was the 12, and then there was like the 120 that met in the upper room, and then there was the crowds and the multitudes. So the tribe is kind of layered in there, like the church venue is just a church with a little C. We're part of the bigger church with the bigger C. So when you come here and you visit and you're from another church, we're just like, hey, how did you hear about us? Oh, we came from the church down the street. We're like, we love them. Why? Because we're just a part of the big church. You know, we're just one flavor of ice cream and we love all the, the churches that preach the gospel of Jesus. We love. But within the church, as the church grows, your tribe, actually, the church actually gets smaller too because it's your tribe and your tribe can be your small group. It can be um, your, you know, if you're on worship team, it's kind of your your people, your, your tribe, and it can cross over. And as the church grows, you'll have your different kind of tribes within the church. How does God organize all these tribes? Um, because if society did it, it wouldn't be able to do it. Because society tells you that your tribe are people who see the way that you do, who look like you, who think like you, and who talk like you, and have the same values, and have the same everything as you. Whereas God is like, no, it's like a family. How does that work for people who are opposites? Well, you only get, you only hear the one, that's what Facebook does, by the way. It puts you together with people who agree with you. That's why you're crazy. But the body of Christ is not like that. It'll put you in the seat beside somebody who's very different than you, who has a different gift and the opposite gift that you need. 
And how does Christ uh, work all of these things? See, Jesus' interaction with his tribes, that's with his tribe, his disciples, that's what the entire sermon series is about. Jesus interacting with his disciples, what he had to teach them, how he called them today. Um, but did you know that Jesus himself had a tribe? And the enemy whispers in your ear, you don't need, you can just do this alone. You can live your Christian life and just read your Bible. And the enemy's like, great, do that. Wander around with a spiritual pocket knife in the woods. But you out there with a spiritual pocket knife are no threat to him whatsoever. Because you're going to get spiritually sick as a Christian. You're going to start starving and then he's going to pick you off whenever he wants. He's got nothing but time out there. But when you start moving towards your tribe, something powerful starts to happen. All right, so what's your, your favorite? I got to say this. Jesus himself had a tribe. And Jesus didn't get the gospel until the whole world. His tribe did. He spent his best years of ministry investing in his tribe. And they're the ones who took the gospel into the whole world. All right. So, Sean, what's your favorite animal? I already know it. That's that was a setup. What's your favorite animal? Have you thought about it? And two of your favorite reasons about your favorite animal. Sean's favorite animal was the cheetah. And the, the here's the punchline. That your two favorite things, as my aunt described this to us, about your favorite animal are your two favorite things about you. And Sean's reasons, the, his favorite reasons about his favorite animal was that the cheetahs are, number one, fast, and he is. And number two, cheetahs are sexy. <laughs> now, let's be honest, Nassia, he is. He is. Sean is, Sean is my buddy. Thanks, Sean. I appreciate you staying up here and being publicly embarrassed one more time. Um, it's funny, what am I talking about? Well, see, my favorite animal is not his favorite animal, and my favorite stuff is not his favorite stuff. We're very different from each other, and yet we're part of the same tribe. My favorite animal is the tiger. I know you're all super curious about this. You're super curious about Pastor Aaron, I know, but I'm just going to ride the wave of popularity. My favorite animal is a tiger, and it's a little bit different than the, than the cheetah and the reasons that I chose for it. Now, it's funny. It might work in your life, and it might not. Somebody was, I said to somebody, because tell me after the service, I'm curious what your favorite animal is and the two reasons why. Somebody, when I, we did this years ago, they said their favorite animal was the frog. And I'm like, nobody's favorite animal is a frog. But it was, and it made sense. Um, my favorite animal is a tiger, because there's this, this crouching tiger, you know, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, have you ever? Yeah. <laughs> Nobody? No martial arts people in the house? Um, crouching Tiger. There's this power about the tiger that's like crouching there. And I said it was like this lethal, like crouching. And you don't know they're on you until it's too late. And that would kind of describe the energy that I live my life. <laughs> it's pretty accurate, actually. Like when I take on a project, I'm like, yeah. you don't even know I'm coming. And then I'm here and we're all in, you know. Um, <laughs> Pastor Aaron's favorite animal. Do you know Pastor Aaron? What do you think her favorite animal might be? Dog, yeah, you're right. Uh, Pastor Aaron is a, is a I, I watched a violent movie, I hate to admit it, with my uh, older girls yesterday, and she went downstairs and watched like a dog's something movie. What? Togo? Oh, a, a Togo. Have you watched this? It's about a dog, and I go down there. First, Arwen warned me. She's like, don't go down the basement. Mom's, mom's crying. Because, you know, her favorite movies are movies that make her sad and, and, uh, and have animals in them at the same time. And so, so um, her favorite animal is actually the golden retriever. And she said her two favorite things about it, they're good with kids. Come on, this is the children's director right here. They're good with kids. And what was the other thing? Oh, and then she said, and they're easy to train. <laughs> no. 
That was when we were first married, and no, that's, maybe, maybe in theory. <laughs> there's so much I want to say about this, but there's new people. You don't know me. You don't know me enough to mistrust me. <laughs> um, my bro- you want to know what my brother Ryan's was? A shark. And all I remember his, is him saying something about a feeding frenzy. I'm like, what kind of person? I have a competition with my brother Ryan. If you've ever played Monopoly with him, you'll know his favorite animal is the shark. Man, he's just got no mercy in his heart, mom. Anyways, um, you know how it is when you have little siblings that you try to discipline and help out dad because he doesn't know what he's doing and then dad doesn't appreciate it. You know, it goes on. Anyways, um, you know, Sean and I are different and we got to get over this feeling that because we're different, that we should feel threatened by the differences, you know, feel threatened by the opposites. God will put you together with opposite people, um, particularly in the body of Christ who see the world differently than you do, because you're like way over here and they're way over here. And the, the path for everybody is more likely in the middle where we include and where, where we actually start removing some of the weaknesses of our personalities and start gaining the, the strengths of the gifts of, uh, that God has put in other people around you. Now, the enemy constantly points out the things in them and their weaknesses. But you got to start thanking God for their strengths. So if I'm strong in, in this area of my life, it's opposite in my life I'm probably going to be weak in. But if I try to, like, layer it out, then I'm not going to be strong in anything anymore. And you have to start thinking of your life as, like, there's two or three things that God really made you for. And if you can stay in that pocket for the most part, but see, if you live by yourself, uh, that pocket will destroy you. But if you live in a tribe, your weaknesses start to get, uh, start to go down and down and down because people will sit in your blind spots and do the things for you that you don't do. Now that's good for your humility too, by the way, because the world is like, you have everything inside of you. And God is like, you absolutely do not. That's why I'm trying to put you in a tribe so that somebody else, so you ask people for help. Like, hey, I'm not good with finances and budget. Can you come in? Hey, I don't know how to discipline my children. I'm too soft on them or I'm too hard on them. Can you come in and and you start getting help in the deepest areas of your life? And you got to stop feeling, um, you know, Sean is like a researcher and a thinker. You know, I'm not a thinker really. I'm a doer. So by the time he's thought about it, I've tried it 18 times. But we need the the combination of that sometimes because sometimes it's good that people research because i'm like i feel like this is the way it is and he's like statistically that is not true uh, <laughs> you know and you just need different types of, of people in your in your life you know um um i forget how movies end like my favorite movies i've seen them 10 and 15 times and i get to the end and i'm like no way and Aaron's like, how do you not do this? Aaron knows the end of the movie that she hasn't even seen yet and then tells me about it. I'm like, why would you wreck it? But I forget by the time I get there anyways. And I'm like, no way. We watched, um, we went with uh, the Dowels. We figured like, who's the most cultured couple in the church? We thought, yeah, they're really the only ones. And so I, <laughs> so, so we went to West Side Story. Have you seen West Side Story? There's like a remake of it. Do you even know what I'm talking about? It was like a movie made in the 60s of, of, uh, in New York. I watched this when I was a 19 year old kid and it's a Rodgers and Hammerstein musical. Like how sad was my life as a 19 year old male that that's what I'm watching. But I love that movie. But we watched the remake of the movie and I'm going to spoil the ending for you because you're not going to see it because like, it's like two street gangs, like the Puerto Ricans and then the whites and they're like fighting each other. But they're, they're, they're all their fights are like sing dance fights. It's a musical, right? People break into song. 
And so I'm watching this movie and this remake of this movie, and I'm like, okay, I feel like I, I thought somebody got stabbed, but you know what I realized? Everybody got stabbed. It's a Romeo and Juliet movie, and the last scene in the movie is them carrying a body down the street, and then scene ends. And I'm like, no way! I'm like, why would I take my wife to that movie? Like, what a way to end a movie, you know? But, but <laughs> that's the way I am. Life is one giant surprise. I see your kids afterwards, and I'm like, what did you guys do in kids? And I saw the thing and I'm like, no way, right? That's my life. But then there are times in my life because I don't do enough research that I'm like, oh, no way, right? Like, why do you say something? Um, you need the different, Sean has taught me to live a fasted life. We have 21 days of prayer and fasting that I want to invite you into starting tomorrow. 21 days, of, we thought after, um, we just used the guilt of New Year's. Just work you into like, hey man, I got to stop eating everything on the menu, you know? A fast, what is fasting? If you're new to church, fasting is giving up something that your flesh likes, like carbs or sugar or carbs and sugar. Or like, I've been fasting vegetables for years. That doesn't count. You don't get to fast your Bible reading because you're too spiritual. Like that's not a thing. But you fast like alcohol. You fast like Netflix, watching TV all the time. You're just, you're just the pleasures of the flesh, the laziness of life, the... And you fast, you give up something, like some of y'all sleep too much. You need to fast a little bit of sleep. Because no, no, a human body does not need 18 hours of sleep. You just don't have a job. <laughs> Write that down. No, no, you don't need that much. No, you need to fast some. You need to get up a little bit earlier. You need to give up something to gain a spiritual power. Because if, if you want to reach this city with me at Venue Church, we need more spiritual power to reach this city. And so sometimes we give up authority just over the year as things bleed away. And in 21 days of prayer and fasting, Sean has taught me how to live a fasted life because he lives a fasted life. We'll watch a game of uh, football, like a soccer, and he will bring a bag of kale chips over with a bunch of dudes. And we will make fun of him every single time because we have to be true to ourselves too. And then we'd say like, I used to think it was Nasty that was doing that. Like, Sean, Nasty's powers are no good here. We're watching football and there's only guys that we're not going to tell on you. And then she finally told me the other day, she's like, no, it's actually Sean. And Sean just sits there in, introverted, like he doesn't say it out loud. He's thinking, thinking of all his punchlines at like two in the morning, you know. And he's sitting there quietly judging us for eating garbage. But you know what? It's challenging for us to live a, more of a fasted life. And I want you to live more of a fasted life. There's other things that it will do as well uh, in your life, specifically with your, with your tribe. I'm giving up this so that I can gain this. Some of you have had a spiritual fight with something that you've been losing for 20 years. You need to fast so that there are some spiritual strongholds. Jesus himself said, these only come out by prayer and fasting. And so sometimes we need to gain a victory in your life. You need to fast a whole bunch of stuff to gain Christ. You know, fast food, fast pop, fast a bunch of things. Now, um, the disciplines of giving up things your flesh wants prepares you for God to fit you into the tribe. Have you ever noticed when you're hungry and desperate, when God speaks, it's not optional anymore. You're hungry for it. And when I preach to a hungry crowd, I know that your faith, it's called faith, everybody. Like I believe in something I don't have and we don't, we, I can see it, but we don't have it yet. And I'm hungry. And when I'm preaching to people who are full, Christians who are like, think they know it all. Man, you can't fill a full cup. You need to, you need to come and be like, I am not all that and a bag of kale chips. I am, I need you, God. Oh, because something's coming tomorrow that I don't know how to, I need you. I need you for the challenges coming. I need you to, for the opportunities. 
There's a huge difference in uh, aligning alignment. See, when society is like find your tribe, they just mean like aligning personalities. Like we see things the same. In, in the tribe that God calls you to, it's alignment of mission. That's where you get your opposites in there. Because, you know, an army has all sorts of different ways to fight. You can't have just an army that just shoots bows and arrows. I have an illustration here in a minute. You can't just have an army that shoots bows and arrows because you're going to get run over by horses. You know, you have to, in the army of God, there's, there's all sorts of different gifts that he puts together. And then you have to learn how to play well in the sandbox because Jesus calls his disciples and they're all different from each other. And then he puts them all together and he's like, Hey, learn how to play in the sandbox because you need each other. And also your weaknesses need to like be met by the strengths of the people around you. So Jesus made you to fit into a tribe, specifically the local church. It becomes tricky. You ready? When the peace tries to fit itself in the puzzle. Uh, I'm, my wife is a jigsaw puzzle person. I don't have the intelligence or the patience which makes me smart. Why would you put together something that's going back in the box? It makes no sense in my brain at all. Amen, said all the people who fail at jigsaws. Here's the, here's the thing, I got a few jigsaw pieces out here. And um, here's the deal with, with jigsaw pieces. Can you kind of see up through the glass there? Here's the, the trouble is, the, is your vantage point because you're a piece of the puzzle. And society keeps telling you this thing, and, and mostly it's the enemy trying to get into society so that everybody can be lost and wandering about with spiritual pocket knives and not affecting the world for anything. You know, little bits and pieces, but that's all that you're going to do because you won't be able to maintain it. You won't be able to keep it. Even if you get a small victory, it doesn't matter. He's just sending his B team over there anyways. The real fight is not even where we're fighting. We're just all distracted off to the side. So, but the trouble is, the trouble is for the puzzle uh, piece here, you can't see over. The piece beside you. And God wants you 10 pieces over. How are you going to get there? All you're doing is just bumping. And <laughs> Am I allowed to say grinding? I don't know. Is that a bad thing? All you're doing is trying to have this conflict with people around you to try to fit them in to what you think needs to happen. That's why you talk to your husband that way because you're trying to fit him into you somehow. And God's like, the, the puzzle pieces aren't supposed to fit themselves. A puzzle piece doesn't fit itself. You can't see enough to fit yourself. You're supposed to be turned this way. You're supposed to be actually flipped over. You know what I mean? Like, and so, so when the puzzle piece tries to fit itself in, it doesn't work and you'll never find your tribe that way. Now I watched pastor Aaron do a puzzle with her, um, with her mom and her sister one time. And one of them reaches over into the other's territory. Come on, this is, our, this is how we do it at work, right? This is my thing. Reached over into the other's territory and grabbed a puzzle piece. And then somebody's hand snaked over and smacked the piece out of their hand. And that's how they do puzzles together as a family or whatever. And I'm like, things you don't know before you get married, right? Ask questions. <laughs> ask, ask questions like, put, the, put a puzzle out and be like, hey, can you guys do a puzzle? And let me just see how it goes. Um, but that's the struggle is that like somebody reaches into your territory. And God's like, actually, I sent that person in there to pick you up and to handle you and to put you where you need to be. Once you start understanding, see, some of you, because you've been hurt or because you're just stubborn, when God picks you up and handles you, you do the, the like, the, stop, you're hurting me. You know, your kid ever do that in the middle of the grocery store? My mom would be like, not yet. But you keep screaming. 
You know, some of us, when God handles us because you've been broken or because your parents didn't handle you right, when God tries to handle you and pick you up and be like, no, you're not even supposed to be over here. What are you doing over here? Let's flip you upside down, get to fix up the paint and like, come on, let's work you around to where you need to be. And you're like, I don't feel like I fit here. And God's like, you do. You just need to grow up a little bit. You just need to play in the sandbox. You need to start appreciating people. If you'd appreciate people and pray for them instead of fighting with them, it's a pretty good trade-off. Why don't you pray for somebody before you wake up and have a fight with them at work? Why don't you just be like, God, and I bless that person. I pray that they would, and Lord, I pray that I would be patient and try it sometime. I'm not going to do it. I'm just going to fight. Um, now, now here's the thing. Here's the thing. Um, the further in you go to the tribe, though, I'm going to warn you, the greater the pressure. Because the enemy, the further away you get from your tribe, the less pressure the enemy will apply to you because that's where he wants you. So as you move in this direction, your life will actually get better for a little bit. Somebody gets mad at their small group or gets mad at pastor or gets mad at something and they leave church. Well, their lives will actually get easier because the enemy's not going to put pressure on them now. He's just going to wait till they're Christian spiritually sick and then eat them later. He'll put them in the freezer and that's what he'll do. Just give it time. But as you move towards... This is a great illustration. I asked Pastor Aaron to grab me these with suction cups so I didn't kill anybody. Now, now you got to think, you got to think. The closer you start moving to where God wants you in your tribe, the greater the pressure goes up. But see, if you're wandering by yourself, there's, there's no pressure. And then, then God's going to be, you know, you're going to be like, hey, I'm going to try to affect something for God. I'm going to hurt the enemy. And then you're going to shoot your little arrow. And the enemy's going to be like, keep him coming. Like, you're so far over there, like, I can't even see where you're shooting over there. Like, are you doing anything? Are you shooting? Oh, my God. Oh, that hurt so much, you know? Like, oh, that hurt. Like, uh, please stop, you know? But this is what happens when the closer you get to your tribe, the more the pressure from the enemy mounts up. And that's how you know you're moving in the right direction, by the way. Some people, your lives have no pressure in it. And I'm like, you're not doing anything. That's why. You got to move in. The closer you move in, the higher the pressure is going to go up. And, and people are going to rub you the wrong way. And it's going to be... And their strengths are going to confront some of your weaknesses. And you're going to start have to ask, you're going to have to ask for help and you're going to have to pray and you're going to have to live a fasted life. And the, move, the more you move in, when you pull that bow back and then the enemy comes against you, like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will raise up a standard against him. And that's what he's afraid of is not just your arrow, but the arrows of a hundred people beside you, the arrows of your small group. When, when he comes to attack your, if you're married, he comes to attack your marriage or one of your kids. When your small group bands together, he's like, no, no, you're going to have to go through us to get to them. You try it, you try it, but you don't talk trash like that when you're by yourself. Please don't. Now the disciples are opposites. And God puts them all in the same sandbox. And you know the fights that they had. We're going to go through like a fight that they had. Somebody's mom comes in. Come on, millennials. And it's like, Jesus, I want, I want my son to sit on your right hand and on your left hand. Why do I always go after millennials? You guys did so much work at the church. I'm so proud of you guys. But you're just so fun to... I love you guys. They all had different like... Favorite animals, you know. I was thinking about this. I don't know what Peter's favorite animal is, but you need a Peter in your life, by the way. First of all, he makes you feel good about your life. Because he, like, you know, only move one foot out of his mouth to get the other one in there. And, but you need somebody like Peter in your life. Because one time Jesus offends all his disciples, and there's a broad group of people following him. And he's like, that's too many. Let's prune this down a little bit. And he says things that offend them and hurt them. 
And they could all start feeling sorry for themselves and they leave. Well, listen, look, for Jesus to change you, he has to offend you. That's the only way for him to change you is to offend something that you think that you're doing that's right. He's like, no, it's not yet. And you need to grow a little bit. And so, you know how you work that offense out? Is being in the tribe. Because your tribe won't let you get offended if they're a good tribe. You'll be like, don't you get mad at the pastor. He preached what God told him to preach. It's actually out of the Bible. So maybe you just need to change. Maybe God's bringing this up so that you need to change something. And um, I was thinking about Peter. You know, all these guys leave. They get offended and leave. And, and Jesus says to Peter, are you going to go too? And he's like, where would I go? He goes, I don't have a lot of options here, Jesus. You're the only one who has the words of life. You need somebody like that in your life. When you get all distracted about everything, Peter's like, I, you know what? I'm a mess, but I ain't going anywhere because where, where are you going to go? I tried everything else and there's no answers out there. Um, they even had a Judas. I know you're thinking about somebody right now on your, on your hosting team that drives you crazy. Like, I know who you're talking about. No, they even had a Judas though. Jesus spent his ministry life pouring into a, somebody who betrayed him in the end. What's that all about? You know, what's, what's Judas' favorite animal when he's, you know, it's a good exercise to tell you what people are like, you know, Judas, like Scar from the Lion King. I like him. He's kind of sneaky and, you know, betraying people and stuff. <laughs> you didn't think that's, I thought it was funny. I wrote that down. I thought it was funny, but apparently not. You, you have the different disciples. You have John who understands about love. You know, John writes a gospel about himself, but he doesn't call himself John because he's too humble. He's like, I am the one who Jesus loved, but he doesn't even tell you that it's him. He's like, there was this guy that Jesus really loved. And he's like, yeah, but John, you wrote that. Your name's at the bottom, right? Like, yeah, no, it's me. But super, super, super humble. Jesus really loved me. I mean, Peter, yeah. There's, um, there's Thomas, you know, I was thinking about Thomas. I am getting to the scripture, by the way. There's not a whole lot um, in the scripture today. It's an introduction to how Jesus calls his disciples. Like he's going to call you today. There's um, Thomas who was like the, the fearful one, right? Like, I'm not going to believe that it's Jesus until I put my fingers into the nail scars in his hand. And I put my hand into his side. You know, the women, they had seen Jesus and then the, all the disciples, they didn't believe because they're guys and were stupid. We're like, yeah, well, you saw something, but it probably wasn't Jesus. And then the Jesus shows up to the disciples. He's like, seriously, guys, I already appeared to the women. He, Come on, guys, we know. Your wife can tell you to clean your car like 15 times. And you're like, yeah, I'm not, it's not that dirty. And then your buddy's like, hey, your car's kind of dirty. You're like, oh, I should clean it. Um, so then he appears to the disciples and Thomas is like, I still don't believe. And then he finally shows up because you need paranoid apes in the pack too. And Thomas is just one of those kind of fearful guys that like kind of pulls back, you know, and and uh, they did this experiment on, on a tribe of apes or gorillas. Or, I, I should have looked this up, but I didn't because I'm not a researcher like Sean. And they, um, you know, paranoid apes. Do we got any, do you know any paranoid apes who are like, oh my goodness, it's a lion. Oh my God, it's another lion. We're going to die. You know, you don't live with anybody like that. A little paranoid. You need paranoid apes though, because they did an experiment. They took all the paranoid apes out of a group of apes. I should have researched this. I don't even know what they're called. But like a year later, they all died because lions actually did eat them because there was nobody there like, oh my, where's the lion? Oh, that's a lion. You need paranoid apes. That's where I'm going with that. As Jesus walked by, John the Baptist looked at him and declared, look, there's the lamb of God. When John's two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus. So you have to, when you're in a tribe, you have to like, it's not your tribe though. It's Jesus tribe. And sometimes God takes somebody from your production team because Tyler Dowell asks them, and they just steal them right from your team. 
But listen, if the tribe needs them, then it's good for you too. And so John the Baptist is like, yeah, go with Jesus. Great. And um, so they, they go and uh, Jesus looks around and saw them following. And then he says, what he's saying to you? What do you want? Don't pass over that. What do you want? Because sometimes what you want won't lead you into the tribe. And sometimes when we fast, we give up what we want to get what we need. What do you want? What do you really, tell me what you want. What you really, really, I want to, I want to. Why would he say that? He says to a crippled man one time, do you want to be made well? You're like, of course, no, no, no. There's a reason he asked what you want because you don't even know what you want sometimes. Sometimes you're, you're crippled from your childhood and you don't mind it because then you don't have to do anything. Because if you get healed of that, then you got to go to work, everybody. Then you got to go to war, everybody. Come on. He's, he asks, he, he reveals their hearts. What do you want? They replied, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? They're like, we just want to be near you. I think that's the best way. Jesus, we just want to get closer to you. You're here to connect with God and people. And you can't do that without your tribe. Because that's where he called you. We just want to be near you. Come and see, he said. It was about four o'clock in the afternoon when they went with him. He's like, no guarantees, guys. Just come. You want to be with me? Just come and let me lead. Just be where I am. It was about four in the afternoon when they went. And they remained with him the rest of the day, actually. Andrew, Simon's Peter brother, remained with him for three years after this. Window of opportunity. He sees it and he goes. And God changes his life forever. And that tribe that Andrew was a part of reached the whole known world with the gospel. They did something that was absolutely impossible to do. Because one day he dropped everything and followed Jesus. Sometimes we want Jesus. We want him to drop everything and follow us. But we don't know where we're going. And if we did, it would be super depressing anyways. Then Andrew brought Simon to meet Jesus, uh, Simon Peter, um, which is the tribe's number one job is to bring people to meet Jesus. Because this tribe is not about me and it's not about you. It's about Jesus. And so uh, looking intently at Simon, Jesus is like, oh, here we go. This guy needs a bit of handling. Come on, some of y'all. Jesus said, your name is Simon, son of John, but you will be called Cephas, which means Peter. And when God changes your name, let him. There's nothing back there for you anyways. Let him change your name and give you a new name. If God wants to, don't hang on to the past and be like, but that's the real me. God's like, that's the old you. There are things that I want to do for you and in you that you don't even know yet. You're not even going to, I'm not even going to unwrap the package until you're in your tribe. The next day he goes to Galilee. He found Philip. Philip was from Bethsaida, Andrew and Peter's hometown. Philip went to look for Nathaniel and brought him in too. We have found the very person Moses and the prophets wrote about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. Nazareth, exclaimed Nathaniel. I have this piece in here. It's the most important part of the text for you today. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Come and see for yourself, Philip replied. There's some of you that you're so jaded, maybe bitter and hurt or just you were initially wounded, but your life is full of that. You know when a wound gets kind of infected? It's infection upon infection upon infection now. And Nathaniel's one of these guys. Really at his core, he's a really good guy. But he's just gotten bitter, maybe with the sin of the nation. There's something that's just, it's not right what's happening, you know, in the world around us. As they approached, Jesus said, now here's a genuine son of Israel, a man of complete integrity. Well, Jesus doesn't say that about everybody. How do you know about me, Nathaniel asked. Jesus replied, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. 
Now, what is he even talking about? We don't know, but I think under that fig tree, Nathaniel was asking some hard questions. Like, God, am I ever going to be free of this? Am I ever going to have victory in this thing? Is there ever going to be a day when my nation isn't bound in sin? Am I ever going to see a day where people are not oppressed? Am I ever going to see something actually change? And Jesus is like, I saw you when you were down there at the bottom asking those questions. I saw you and I heard you. And I have a plan. Come follow me. I'll change the world for you. You come and get in this tribe. You play in the sandbox with these guys. And I'm going to do something that you will never be able to do. You'll never be able to affect the changes that God called you to affect. Because he didn't call you to affect it. He called your tribe to. (laughs) Nathaniel exclaimed, Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Jesus asked, do you believe this? Just because I told you I had seen you under the fig tree, you will see greater things than this. Then he said, I tell you the truth, you will all see heaven open up and the angels of God going up and down on the son of man, the one who is the stairway between heaven and earth. I just want to leave you with just one thought. I just, I give you one action step a week if I can. And here's the one thing that I think that we get wrong in Christian culture. Maybe you're not a Christ follower, so you don't have the bad habits that we have sometimes as church people. You know what's better than asking God to show you where you fit in? Because we do this. Okay, God, show me where I fit in. But then you try to do the fitting. You know what's better than asking God to show you? Is asking God to fit you. That's hugely different. God, when we worship, we lift our hands and we're like, God, pick me up. Like your kids do. Pick me up, God. Handle me. Fit me. Spin me around. Turn me over. Like, do whatever you want to do and fit me where you know that I am supposed to be, where you made me. You fit me. You send somebody to pick me up and handle me. And I think that God is going to do a deep work of healing in somebody's life at the prayer corner afterwards because you were hurt and you don't like to be handled. But if you want your destiny, God has to handle you and tell you what to think and show you where to go. My parents used to take me by the hand and be like, come on, come and see. I'll show you where it's a come over to the neighbor's house. You broke their window with your BB gun. Oh no, I was framed. No, it was you. Come, let me show you your destiny. Let me show you how to build the care. Let me, we're going to take you. We're going to fit you in there. And I think that, listen, puzzle pieces don't know where we fit. We just know when we fit. And there will come a time in your life when you'll look back to this sermon, this message. You're like, I finally asked God to handle me and to fit me in there. And that was the best thing I ever asked God to do. Because when, I, when you fit, you'll know it. When you fit in your family, in your tribe, you'll know it. We're going to sing a song called Rattle right now that I think is, is the promise if you will ask God to handle you and live a fasted life, the promise that the valley of dry bones where you've lost so many battles and it's all this disconnected pieces and dry bones, you got to read that. When God starts like bringing them together, but he doesn't just bring them together like one soldier. He brings a whole army out of this. And all the broken places of your life can be that army that God brings up so that we can reach our city for Christ.